Welcome to the second season of the podcast series, The Growing Pandemic, How Innovation and Collaboration Can End Alzheimer's, brought to you by the Global CEO Initiative on Alzheimer's Disease, or CEOI. This podcast series explores opportunities to accelerate our fight against Alzheimer's disease, shared during the 2021 Lausanne Workshop. This convening, held each year in Lausanne, Switzerland, is the world's leading stage for global dialogue on how to speed new innovations in prevention, treatment, and care to those impacted by Alzheimer's. CEOI is an organization of private sector leaders who have joined together to provide business leadership in the fight against Alzheimer's, a growing pandemic that threatens to devastate communities, national health systems, and the global economy if we fail to act. In the final episode of Season 2, we will explore how to best define and measure the value of Alzheimer's innovations. The panel includes leading experts and researchers. Anders Gustafsson is co-founder and partner at Quantified Research and a member of Project Alzheimer's Value Europe. Soren Metke is director of the Center for Improving Chronic Illness Care at the University of Southern California. Bruce Pineson is a Principal and Consulting Actuary at Milliman. David Thomas is Head of Policy for Access and Innovation at Alzheimer's Research UK. Lydia Landman is Senior Global Access Policy Leader at F. Hoffman LaRoche and the moderator of the panel. Together they share their perspectives on the strengths and shortcomings of traditional approaches to value, potential evolutions or alternatives for the specific challenges of Alzheimer's, and how to drive forward progress. Please note that the opinions expressed by participants are their own and do not necessarily reflect the positions of the organizations they represent. Today, we'll, as we've heard from the previous speaker, we're focusing on how to define and assess the value of Alzheimer's innovations. With new disease-modifying therapies on the very new horizon, how healthcare systems and payers assess the value of new DMTs for Alzheimer's will play a significant role in determining who may be able to access and benefit from future treatment and care. The significant impact on people living with the disease, their families and caregivers, as well as on societies, often eclipses the impact the disease has on direct healthcare costs. And to that, the intersection of socioeconomic and other disparities, traditional value assessment models used in health technology assessment may not be equipped to consider the full scope of the value that new AD treatments bring. All that said, we're in for what will probably be a very lively and spirited debate over where current approaches to value assessment fall short for Alzheimer's disease, what is needed to change and how we can get there. My name is Anders Gustafsson. Uh, I'm a Swede. Uh, I'm a co-founder of Quantify Research, a Swedish-based uh, consultancy, uh, and also affiliated researcher at Karolinska Institute. Um, I've been working with Alzheimer's disease for the last 15 years uh, as a health economist and uh, I'm also a member of PAVE, uh, Project Alzheimer Value Europe, and I've been coordinating a, a study there uh, on the epidemiology of Alzheimer's disease. 
Soren Metke, University of Southern California in Los Angeles. I've been busying myself for the last few years looking into how health systems are prepared for the arrival of an Alzheimer's treatment. And of course, as you know, the answer is not positive. And one of the items in which we are not prepared is the finances, because there is no way around it. It is going to cost a lot of money to treat Alzheimer's disease. It's extremely prevalent. These are fairly sophisticated treatments. And like we do in oncology, immunology, and other disorders, we will have to find the money to finance those. I'm a principal and consulting actuary at Milliman, which is a a, a firm largely focused on actuarial, and we consult uh, throughout the healthcare sector. I've been uh, at uh, doing this kind of work for uh, about 35 years and uh, involved with all sorts of therapeutic analytics as well as uh, uh, consulting to risk takers, uh, insurance companies, and the accountable care organizations uh, that are, are taking risk. I also have another position as a commissioner on MedPAC, the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission and Agency of U.S. Congress. My name is David Thomas. I am Head of Policy uh, for Access and Innovation at Alzheimer's Research UK. So we are a charitable funder of research into dementia uh, and also a group that looks to represent the the views and experiences of of patients and and carers and people affected by dementia. And alongside the work that we do to to fund and support the development of new treatments, um, a big focus for us in recent years has been how we can prepare the UK system for a potential uh, disease-modifying treatment uh, to understand some of those barriers and to look at what solutions that we can develop to to tackle those barriers. Given the complex impact of dementia on society, which we heard earlier from David Bloom, is traditional cost-effectiveness analysis a suitable tool to assess the value of an Alzheimer's treatment? And I guess really the question for me is, do we need to abandon traditional cost-effectiveness analysis altogether, or can it be salvaged and adjusted? Yeah, thank you, Lydia. And my probably not well-liked answer in the UK is clearly not, because the method just doesn't do justice to a treatment that is not incremental. We published yesterday a blog in Health Affairs that speaks in great length about the problem that cost-effectiveness analysis doesn't really mean that a drug is saving money or has absolute value. It's an incremental measure. In Alzheimer's, This doesn't really work because your treatment is tender loving care. That's your standard of care. Go home, get your affairs in order, organize your finances, don't do any stupid stuff. If you compare to that a standard of care, any treatment is going to be enormously expensive no matter how it is priced. So an incremental method, in my view, is certainly not suitable if progress is non-incremental as we now see in Alzheimer's disease. I'm not sure it needs to be abandoned. I think we can do a better job within the current framework. I share a lot of the critique and understand a lot of the critique. And of course, it's not the perfect system, the cost-effectiveness analysis, but uh, I'm not sure uh, this is a technical issue. I am more interested in discussing the underlying premise of this. Uh, What is it that makes the cost-effectiveness analysis not optimal. And, and I think we, we can do a better job in having a long-term perspective and a societal perspective and making sure that we, we include the broad perspective when evaluating new drugs. Now is the time to start 
to work on a, an alternative framework. The current framework based on qualities and based on what I call traditional economic fair wager kind of approaches is really fundamentally flawed. So you have a number of uh, very flawed components, uh, qualities which are an attempt to create a omnibus measure of uh, very important human concerns and uh, adding those up in a simplistic arithmetic way is pretty flawed fundamentally. The analogs that we have suggest that societies don't and have not measured what's important or their investments in this kind of methodology. So we should actually stop the pretense that we're going to do that going forward. A notable example is uh, uh, every society uh, is committed to helping developmentally disabled individuals on a quality of life basis that would not be done in the, in the simplistic way that we have it. My view is that value is something that's determined, is a societal value, and that should be distinct from the issue of who pays and who gets paid, and even how much they get paid. I'd emphasize the, the point that Soren made around in this particular area, that the majority of those costs are picked up informally and not by the healthcare service. So it, it, it is something that needs a, a different approach. But there's also a need to suggest alternatives to, to that. And I, I think that's what this session could be really useful for, um, is to outline what could replace this model. How do we, I think, you know, use the word salvaged. I personally think that we could we could salvage this and, and that there's a evolution, uh, not revolution, is, is what's needed here, at least here in the UK. I guess my first thought on that would be that we need to have a, a sort of multi-stakeholder approach to values, a shared approach to, to defining value across the system. Um, so not just HDA bodies, but also how payers approach it, how industry approaches it, and also how patients and people affected by the condition approaches it. Just kind of a follow-up question for all of you. What do you think is needed to estimate the value of new AD treatments in a more transparent, objective, holistic way that really goes on to capture that full value of uh, slowing cognitive decline? Bruce, I'd love you to weigh in first on this one. Just a, a technical point. I'm not sure slowing cognitive decline is the only or even the most important component of, of a, an effective Alzheimer's treatment. And, and the reason for that is when we, we think of the impact of, of Alzheimer's and there's a whole ecosystem uh, of support for Alzheimer's patients. There's profound impacts on, on caregivers, uh, spouses, family members, and others. And many of those impacts are um, associated with things other than cognitive decline. It might be uh, behavioral issues and so forth. So to be more transparent about it is to, to think about what the impact on that whole ecology is or that segment of, of supports to value that. So I, I think in the U.S. we have a strangely fragmented system where uh, social supports are not considered medical care, so they don't get counted. 
I guess one of the things that I think is really important is, is around how you reflect the outcomes that matter to, to people living with dementia. And I think, I think Bruce touched on that, that this is not just about slowing the disease, but it's also around the impacts like on someone's sleep or issues around agitation. So I think starting with those outcomes, what, what matters and, and incentivizing them, and that's obviously a bigger problem than just HTA. That's something for, for industry and for regulators as well. But it's how you how you can have an approach that both that both factors in the uncertainties around the natural history of the disease in terms of the progression of, of Alzheimer's and how how varied that is within, within each individual. I really like the ISPO value flower because of its sort of broader approach to value, but it is still done by health economists. So they are still trying to salvage the underlying incrementalist problem because economists by default are trained to look at marginal effects. So they put in all kinds of things that make total sense intuitively. And by that, they're actually abandoning, in my mind, traditional economic theory and move us into a more Rawlsian world, if you will. So the famous philosopher John Rawls has said, behind the veil of ignorance, we are all inclined to choose a world in which we have sort of equality of opportunity, not equality of outcomes as it is currently promulgated in the US, but equality of opportunity. And so the value flower has concepts like equity considerations. They haven't proposed how to operationalize it. They have proposed the value of scientific spillovers, like how does a new drug, a totally new drug that is non-incremental, stimulate research and development in the therapeutic area? They haven't proposed to operationalize it, but these are all concepts that go beyond incrementalism and sort of abandon cost-effectiveness analysis as we know it. My case is simply that, sure, there are values that we are missing. I, I really uh, think this uh, innovation piece is important. I'm really excited now about the recent events uh, in Alzheimer's and new therapeutics coming, uh, because I think it's sort of this innovation will spur investments and us moving. It gives us tempo to uh, increase our knowledge. I really agree that uh, innovation is something that the cost-effectiveness analysis doesn't capture in a good way. And again, my, I think my, my main case is that I think we can do so much better already within this model by looking at this long-term. Ideas there could be to look at the discounting. Is it really fair to discount the values of, of future outcomes? In the way we do, I think now with COVID and climate uh, change and, and all this, we get to remember that we, we are in this for the long run. And we need to take that into account also, uh, the values that will accrue in 20 years or 30 years. You cannot just discount it away. Another is for the um, uh, long-term perspective, I think it's back to the severity that we should consider the severity over the longer term also not just considering that for instance a prodromal ad person does not really have a lot of severity today but obviously over time we will expect a lot of severity a severe disease and that needs to be accounted for and, and we have that in uh, methods like absolute shortfall uh, and um, there are the alternatives also so Anders, I'd like to kind of dig in a bit more about some of the work that you've been doing along with some co-authors and European clinical experts as part of your work with PAVE and the EPI work. 
so we did a study on that, uh, estimating the, the number of persons across the Alzheimer's continuum. And we concluded that if we have 32 million people with AD dementia in the world, we have 69 million prodromal AD and 315 in the preclinical AD stage. So 92% of all with the underlying Alzheimer's pathology, 92% of those, they don't even have dementia. And with these extreme large, extremely large numbers also, we need to understand who we should treat first. We can't put them on treatment, everyone, right? So we need to study them and see who should we start treating and, and when to stop treatment. I think, you know, a lot of the, the epi data is really drawn from clinical trial data, right? In registries and cohorts and various databases, which we all know don't always reflect what's actually happening in the real world and, and how kind of a, a, a real person living with AD moves through the different stages of, of their disease. So what are ways that can we approach this kind of to get a longer term view, but also maybe a more precise view that can really inform uh, HTA assessment? I think it's obvious to everyone that when once a treatment gets on the market, that will need to be evaluated and followed up with careful data collection. And that will likely happen. But I think it's important that we see these initiatives, and we do already now, to have the historical patient. And David said earlier that we need to understand the disease progression better, the natural of the disease. And I think our ability to do this improves over time. We have more and more collaborations across the borders and across different industry and public payers, academia and so forth. And also with the digitalization of data collection and uh, biomarkers and digital biomarkers and, and these digital cognitive batteries and functional assessments that are not that dependent on the research nurse spending time on this, but rather we can we can dig into this data much more efficiently. Uh, I think now we we can form these big registers that we can capture the full heterogeneity of, of these patients and see see how they progress over time, untreated and later on treated also. But we need that investment already now. And so, Bruce, I would like your kind of comments around this kind of longitudinal, the long term kind of approach to kind of value assessment. And based on your recent work with uh, Millman in terms of looking at a longitudinal assessment of Alzheimer's disease, would there be a suitable tool for dementia and, and Alzheimer's that could also be an improvement for other conditions? Certainly the, the broader approach of looking at the societal impact or the ecology around particular conditions would be applicable to many conditions. But I think an important long-term consideration of value is a portion of value must, should belong to society as a whole or the public as a whole, public wealth. The tendency, the willingness to pay doesn't capture that. So I think building that concept, that long-term concept of not willingness to pay, but the public wealth. If we're not adding to the public wealth, what's the point? Soren, I'd like to kind of dig in a bit more in terms of your health affairs piece that was featured yesterday. How do you bridge this kind of incrementalist nature of CE modeling for innovations that are not kind of incremental, maybe as in the case for uh, future disease modifying therapies? Yeah, good question. Um, I don't want to propose that I have a perfect framework. And the attraction of cost-effectiveness analysis was always that it was sort of consistent, right? Reproducible, 
applicable to all kinds of situations. But of course, there are these questions of validity and applicability. So I think the one thing that we do need to add is an assessment of the absolute contribution of the new treatment as opposed to the relative contribution. And we just have to understand more so holistic view of a new treatment. And interestingly enough, countries with more mature uh, health technology assessment like France, Germany, Spain and, and others, they do use cost effectiveness data. They just don't use them exclusively. And so we need to understand the value of a drug along different criteria, absolute value, scientific innovation. I think it's a much greater contribution to society if a drug treats a hitherto untreatable condition than if it makes a slight improvement to a treatable condition. David, would love your thoughts. So you and Alzheimer's Research UK work directly with NICE. How would you kind of approach an HTA body to kind of move them from maybe taking a more traditional approach to really expanding the way that they would approach value assessment for, for new DMTs? You know, NICE has been in place about 20 years, and you can argue that their methods haven't changed um, a huge amount since it was first founded. But I think we've been trying to make the case that you do need to evolve the approach that they've been taking. I think we've found that particularly uh, important to not just speak from a dementia perspective, but to bring other organizations together. So we work with a, a real range of patient organizations who, you know, both from the oncology space, but from the rare disease space as well, to, to kind of really set out, you know, where we see some of these shortcomings to also reflect how medicine development is changing and, and, and how, how that's changed in the last 20, 30 years and, and some of the impacts of, of that. Um, to talk about how the, you know, the disease profile of the population has also changed. We all know that over the last 50 years in terms of more people living with long-term uh, multiple conditions. So it's marshalling some of those arguments around, around that. And, and I think we've, we've also worked with industry given their interest in this space and also with government as well. I think you know, the, the UK government is very keen on the UK being seen as a leader in research a leader in healthcare, and that that kind of has you know led to a groundswell, I would say, of a recognition that the way that Nice is working currently needs to change, and that's why at the moment Nice is conducting a really kind of far-reaching review of its uh, of its methodology, which we've been very involved in working through. What are your thoughts on quantifying those elements of value that are missing from traditional cost-effectiveness analysis? For example, how would equity or scientific spillover be considered by modelers to adjust their determination of value-based prices? I think one of the main problems there with spillovers, for instance, is that, yeah, we know they exist, but uh, have we quantified them uh, from the start? Do we know what the spillovers are? I'm hoping to do a study on, for instance, the um, income and welfare effects on families with a person with Alzheimer's disease in their families. Uh, I think we can do a great study on that in the Nordics. I, I know they have done it on claims data in the US, but I haven't seen any in, in Europe. And that is an example of studies that we haven't really seen before. I think there's a lot to do on that area to try to quantify what is the value of innovation, depending on sort of the characteristics of a treatment, of course. Each one of you, I'll start with David, take 30 seconds and let us know what's the one change that would have the most impact in ensuring we can effectively assess the value of future treatments for Alzheimer's disease. Just one. Um, I think the, the one which I would focus on is on the impact of carers, understanding the quality of life measures for carers, people with dementia, and how that can factor into any assessment. 
I would agree with David. Uh, the term I, I use is to define an ecology that surrounds uh, Alzheimer's patients. I agree with that, defining that and quantifying it, and it can be quantified. That would be an important step forward. Soren, to you. It might surprise you, but I'm actually into better data because there's so many items that we don't really know all that well in terms of especially attributable cost and attributable burden because a dementia patient has very high medical cost, but not necessarily because of the dementia, but because they are just old and sick. So we really need to have a better understanding of that, of the specific contribution of cognitive decline, neuropsychiatric systems on caregivers, on medical costs, on nursing home admission, as opposed to all the other things that many of our Alzheimer patients suffer from to actually sort of isolate the value of a treatment, however we operationalize that value. Great. Thanks, Soren. Anders, to, to end up. I'm, I'm happy to say that in the end, I'm all with Soren. <laughs> I, I think it's all about data, and I'd like to see a European-wide register on Alzheimer's treatment, uh, Alzheimer patients, starting from preclinical, if you if you can. It's critical to ensure that value assessment appropriately reflects the impacts of Alzheimer's disease for people with the disease, their caregivers, and the surrounding ecosystem, as well as the holistic value of new innovations. Collaborations, discussions, and research projects are underway to consider how these frameworks can be tailored in a way that integrates the perspectives of different stakeholders. This work is vitally important for slowing and ending Alzheimer's disease, the growing pandemic. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Lausanne Workshop and the Global CEO Initiative on Alzheimer's Disease, please visit usagainstalzheimers.org.